तदेकं स्मरामस्तदेकं भजामः तदेकं जगत्साक्षिरूपं नमामः सदेकं निधानं निरालंबमीशं भवांबोधिपोतं शरण्यं व्रजामः ओम शांति 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 On that alone do we meditate, that alone do we worship, to that alone the witness of the universe do we bow, to that one who is our sole eternal support, the self-existent Lord, the raft to safety across the ocean of samsara, do we come for refuge. Om, peace, peace, peace. I'd like to share some thoughts today about puja, worship. From time to time we hear people comment that they enjoy the atmosphere, the holy atmosphere created at a worship service, a puja. But if they can speak frankly, they say it actually, it all seems kind of like a lot of mumbo-jumbo. And a, uh, they don't understand what's actually going on. So uh, a lot of chanting and ringing of bells and sprinkling of water. And what does all that mean? When I first attended pujas at the Hollywood Center, where the pujas are very elaborate, I also enjoyed the atmosphere, but it seemed like some some secret doctrine, some esoteric something. What is actually going on? Actually, I learned that it's neither secret nor esoteric, but a science. It's a science of worship. Each part of a puja is significant and meaningful. So I'd, I'd like to discuss some of these points of puja and how we can incorporate them into our own spiritual life, into our own spiritual practices. For most of us, beginners in spiritual life that we are, to practice meditation is a, a great struggle to keep the mind on God, and to get a little peace and joy in meditation requires a lot of struggle. Ritualistic worship engages our senses, our bodies, our minds, our speech in a prescribed set of actions, all connected with the divine. Engaging the whole personality in God-oriented thought and action And this naturally draws the mind towards the divine. And it gives us a very sweet fruit, a growing and awakening of devotion. On May 24, 1884, that's exactly 125 years ago today, two young women visited Sri Ramakrishna at Dakshineshwar. He told them, Worship Shiva. 
This worship is described in a book called the Nitya Karma. Learn the rituals from it. In order to perform the worship of God, you will be preoccupied for a long time with such religious duties as plucking flowers, making sandal paste, polishing the utensils of worship, and arranging offerings. As you perform these duties, your mind will naturally be directed to God. You will get rid of meanness, anger, jealousy, and so forth. When you two sisters talk to each other, always talk about spiritual matters. The thing is, somehow to unite the mind with God. You must not forget Him, not even once. Your thought of Him should be like the flow of oil, without any interruption. If you worship with love even a brick or stone as God, then through His grace you can see Him. Remember what I have just said to you. One should perform such worship as the Shiva Puja. Once the mind has become mature, one doesn't have to continue formal worship for long. The mind then always remains united with God. Meditation and contemplation become a constant habit of mind. So, Sri Ramakrishna, somehow we have to unite the mind with God, he says. A puja can help us do that and prepare us for a deeper meditation and contemplation. There are different kinds of puja. The simplest is encapsulated in a single verse of the Bhagavad Gita. Sri Krishna says, Whoever offers me with devotion a leaf, a flower, a fruit, or some water, that I accept, the pious offering of the pure in heart. Patram pushpam phalam toyam Yo me bhaktya prayachati tadaham bhaktyupahritam ashnami prayatatmanaha. This is simple devotional worship. One may keep a shrine and lay before the altar one's offerings. What is important here is not the thing offered, but the attitude with which it is offered, with devotion the pious offering of the pure in heart. And the Lord assures us he accepts that offering. Now, one may feel that one doesn't have so much devotion. Maybe one feels, I'm not pure enough to worship God. How can I come to the shrine and worship God? That doesn't matter. The whole point and purpose of offering, uh, making our offerings. The whole point of this practice is to gain purity, to gain devotion. Performing even a simple ritual of offering some flowers and incense at a shrine and bowing down creates a samskara, an impression in our mind. When an action is repeated many times, this samskara, this impression, becomes correspondingly strengthened. It becomes stronger and stronger. 
And that's how we develop habits. That's how we develop character traits like devotion. So the very act of simple worship performed regularly leads gradually to an awakening of devotion, a deepening of devotion. Moreover, anyone who worships at a shrine in this way will attest that some kind of holy atmosphere is created. Swami Vivekananda explains this phenomenon. He is talking here about the practice of meditation, but it applies equally to puja. He says, Those of you who can afford it will do better to have a room for this practice alone. Do not sleep in that room. It must be kept holy. You must not enter the room until you have bathed and are perfectly clean in body and mind. Place flowers in that room always. They are the best surroundings for a yogi. Also, pictures that are pleasing. Burn incense morning and evening. Have no quarreling, nor anger, nor unholy thought in that room. Only allow those persons to enter it who are of the same thought as you. Then, gradually, there will be an atmosphere of holiness in the room, so that when you are miserable, sorrowful, doubtful, or your mind is disturbed, the very fact of entering that room will make you calm. This was the idea of the temple and the church, and in some temples and churches you will find it even now. The idea is that, by keeping holy vibrations there, the place becomes and remains illumined. That is why worldly discussions conducted in a temple jar our sensibilities. We feel that the holy atmosphere is being disturbed. We can better try to absorb the holy vibrations there and at the same time contribute to them through the practice of meditation, japa, prayer, worship. Now I'd like to describe the process followed in formal ritual worship. We may think that worship is a very dualistic practice. After all, there's the devotee and the Lord. The devotee worships the Lord. The two are separate. But the puja practiced in the Ramakrishna order, in the Ramakrishna tradition, is a very Vedantic process based on principles of non-dualism. It is actually a tantric rite from the tantric tradition of Bengal and involves a lot of meditation and visualization. In the Sri Ramakrishna Leela Prasanga, that is the definitive biography of Sri Ramakrishna by Swami Sarudananda, which has also uh, been translated recently as Sri Ramakrishna and his divine play. In this book, Swami Sarudananda explains that each tantric rite or ceremony is intimately associated with non-dual knowledge. For example, when you sit to worship a particular deity, you have to think at the very outset 
that the coiled up power, the Kundalini Shakti, is raised up to the thousand petaled lotus, the Sahasrara, in the head, and that you have become identified with Ishwara, the Godhead, in non-dual consciousness. Then you should think that you have become separated from him and again assume the nature of a jiva, an individual soul, and that the supreme light of the divine, the Ishwara Jyoti, becomes condensed and manifests itself in the form of the deity to be worshipped, and that you have projected the deity out from within you and then sat down for worship. Ah, how beautiful is this attempt at meditation, becoming one with God in love and then worshipping him. By combining the idea of non-duality with all its rituals, the tantras remind the aspirant always of the ultimate aim of spiritual life. This is exactly what we do in puja. The very crux of the puja is this dictum, Devo Bhutva Devanyajet, become God in order to worship God. Can a limited creature approach the infinite is the question. Can a finite, bound, impure being approach the boundless, ever-free, ever-pure divine? No, it's not possible. But luckily, we are not limited, bound, impure beings. We also are divine. When we worship the divine, first we remind ourselves of that fact. We divinize ourselves, as it were, and then worship. It's done as a vivid visualization, and this is the heart of the puja. There are a couple of qualifications required of one who wants to undertake this kind of puja. First, one must have at least a little devotion, a little attraction for the divine. Otherwise, there will be no motivation. Also, according to tradition, one must have had spiritual initiation in order to perform formal worship according to tantric rites. That That doesn't include simple worship. But if one wants to undertake this formal tantric puja, it is said one should first be initiated. The process of puja has six major parts. Preparation, purification, divinization, invocation, service to the deity, and conclusion. We'll go briefly through these steps. Each step of the puja involves some action, either physical or mental, and it's accompanied by a mantra. We say something. Now we heard about the preparations for puja from Sri Ramakrishna in his instructions to the two sisters about Shiva puja, plucking flowers, making sandalwood paste, scouring the couple copper vessels, taking a bath, wearing fresh clothes, During this process, the mind will naturally be thinking about 
why I'm doing this. I'm plucking flowers because I'm going to offer them in the shrine to my chosen ideal. So naturally the mind will be already in the preparation process, the mind will be getting prepared for the puja. When the puja begins, the first step is to purify everything, oneself included. The more elaborate the puja, the more elaborate this process. If we look on the divine as sacred, then naturally everything we use in worshipping the divine, we also want to sanctify. That's the idea behind this purification. And we begin at the very outset with purifying the mouth, because the mouth will be uttering the holy mantras. So let the mouth first be purified. Then one chants a beautiful verse. Apavitra pavitrova sarvavastangatopiva yasmaret pundari kaksham sabahyabhyantarashuchihi. Many of you may know it. Whether one is pure or impure, in whatever condition one may be, if one simply remembers the lotus-eyed Lord, one becomes pure inside and out. Merely by remembering the divine we become pure. Many of the mantras used in puja express such eloquent and beautiful truths. After this, one makes a sankalpa. One makes a resolve stating that the purpose for which one is going to undertake this worship. Now, some people worship God for worldly ends, for curing a disease, for getting a job, for passing an examination, whatever it may be. I remember in Gaya meeting an undercover police detective. I was staying at the Bharat Sevasham Sangha, and he was staying undercover as a pilgrim, but actually he was a police detective who had come to Gaya for a big bust. And uh, the bust was successful, and after that he took me with him to a temple of the Divine Mother, a famous temple of the Divine Mother in Gaya, to worship the Mother. He had vowed to the Mother that if the bust is successful, I'll come and worship you with uh, coconuts and sugar and all these things. So the bust was successful, the crooks were thrown in jail, and then he took me from the ashrama. We went um, by rickshaw probably, and to this uh, hilltop temple, and we worshipped the Divine Mother. Now there's nothing wrong with this kind of worship. It connects all aspects of our life with the Divine. But for spiritual aspirants, generally don't seek these kinds of ends for their worship. The Sankalpa mantra that we utter in the Ramakrishna Puja, the statement of intention expresses a wish to please the Lord, a desire for knowledge and devotion, and that the glory of the Lord may be spread far and wide. So after the sankalpa follows a systematic purification, so much sprinkling of water and all that, but for the person who's doing it, it all becomes very meaningful. One feels that all the things are becoming pure. One, for instance, one worships the deities of the door. The idea is that there is a, a deity associated with the door of a temple. So we should worship that deity so 
he may protect the temple, protect, keep out any bad influences. One sends the ghosts and spirits away. One purifies the asana, the seat, and prays to Mother Earth that Mother Earth may make the seat pure and uh, may she always support me and hold me. We purify our hands, the flowers, the articles of worship, even the mantras. Then we surround ourselves with a wall of fire, with sprinkling some water and imagining a wall of fire to keep out all influences so that our mind may be fully focused on the task at hand, which is worshipping the Lord. Then the worshipper is ready to divinize him or herself. Swami Saradananda explained it in brief. First, we make a round of pranayama. It means a simple form of alternate nostril breathing, which harmonizes the nerve currents and is said to purify the subtle body. Then one performs this bhuta shuddhi, the purification of the elements. This is a visualization of the kundalini power, the coiled serpent power, it's sometimes called, the coiled spiritual power, which is said to be lying dormant at the base of the spine. That must be awakened and then brought up through the central channel of the spine, the sushumna, to the thousand-petaled lotus in the head, the sahasrara, along with the individual soul, which is envisioned as a flame. When this power reaches the sahasrara, the individual soul merges with the supreme soul. There remains then only the infinite supreme soul, the paramatman. And thou art that. This meditation can be made very detailed for those who like that kind of thing. Some people find these details helpful. Others may find them a distraction. I'll share a few of them. Don't be frightened. You, if you're not interested in them, you can ignore them. But for those who are interested, there are books uh, detailing all these things. As the Kundalini passes through the six centers, there are six mystic centers in the human body called chakras. Each chakra, envisioned as a lotus, bursts into blossom. Now each lotus has a certain number of petals. Each lotus also has a mystic syllable, a bija mantra associated with it. And associated with each chakra is also one of the subtle elements one of the sense, the organs of perception, one of the organs of action, and one of the objects of sense. Now, as each center awakes, the particular bija associated with that center is heard, and all the, the organs of action and perception and the elements associated with that chakra merge into the awakened consciousness there. So as the Kundalini rises and finally reaches the thousand-petaled lotus. All the 24 cosmic principles of the Sankhya philosophy have merged into infinite consciousness. There is only the one. It, by individually visualizing all these different aspects, it makes the process all the more vivid. That's the point of uh, going into all these specifics. Then... 
Here's a very interesting step. One envisions the Papa Purusha. This is the person of sin, the embodiment of sin. Envisions it sitting in the belly. All the sins, its entire body is made of various sins. Its head is made of, of killing, uh, of murder. And its, arm, its hands are made of stealing. And its tongue is made of lying. All those kinds of things. And one dries it up. One does another special pranayama and imagines that it's become completely dried up and that the subtle body also has become dried up. Then one burns it up. One imagines that the whole person of sin is burned up and the whole subtle body also is burned up. Then one imagines nectar flowing from the sahasrara to every part of the body and turning it into a new entirely divine body. Finally, after the divine body is created, the, all those principles, the senses and all that, they, come, they resume their usual places in this new, fully divine body. So the worshipper is no longer human, but divine. Then, one's chosen ideal is invoked in the heart. This is called jiva-nyasa. It is a prana-pratishtha, an installation of the chosen deity on the altar of the heart. When we found a new temple, we do what is called a prana-pratishtha. We establish the deity in the temple. So in puja, we do the same thing in the temple of the heart. We touch the heart and repeat certain mystic syllables and invoke the chosen deity, the chosen ideal, in the heart, praying that they may abide here happily and eternally. Then one meditates on one's identity with the chosen ideal. First one has a completely divine new body, then one installs the deity in the heart, then one meditates, I am one with the deity. Now who will do puja? Not me and not you. The chosen ideal will worship. This dual process of Bhuta Shuddhi and Jiva Nyasa need not be restricted to the practice of puja alone. It can be practiced, it can be learned and practiced as part of our meditation, as a way to deepen our meditation. Before we come to the main puja, there are some additional steps undertaken by the worshipper. The body is further consecrated with some mantras. Then one worships one's guru. And then five deities, Ganesha, Shiva, Surya, Narayana, and the Divine Mother, Jayadurga. The guru is always worshipped first. And then Ganesha, the remover of obstacles. Now it is said that Shankaracharya established the worship of these five deities. At that time, there were five, these were the deities of five principal sects, and they were a little bit at odds with each other. So he, he established this worshiping of these five deities at the beginning of, of puja in order to harmonize these sects. Before any deity is worshipped, how does one begin? One meditates on the deity using a 
Dhyana Shloka, a meditation verse. These meditation verses are poetic descriptions of the qualities of the deity and bring vividly to mind the deity worshipped. Sri Ramakrishna, during the first period of intense spiritual practices he underwent at Dakshineshwar, performed the daily worship of Mother Kali. Swami Saradananda writes about this. We heard from Hridoy, that is the Master's attendant, that the Master's method of worship was something special to see. Whoever saw it was overwhelmed. As he performed worship, the Master would become so absorbed that if anyone came near or talked to him, he could not hear them at all. The Master mentioned that while performing rituals such as Anganyasa and Karanyasa, he actually saw the words of those mantras written on his body in bright colors. In addition, he watched as the Kundalini power in his own body rose like a snake through the Sushumna channel. Those parts of his body that were left behind by that power as it ascended immediately became motionless, insensible and nearly dead. When, according to the prescribed method of worship, he uttered the mantra, Rang, sprinkled water around himself and imagined that the place of worship was encircled by a wall of fire, he actually saw an impassable wall of fire with hundreds of flames on all sides, protecting the place of worship. So we see how what for us is perhaps imagination in these steps of puja, for Sri Ramakrishna was an actual realization. So now comes the worship of the chosen ideal. In the case of the worship of Sri Ramakrishna, the the name of Sri Ramakrishna is applied to the different parts of the body. The syllables of his name, Ra-ma-krishna, are applied to the fingers and the different uh, limbs as a kind of final consecration. Then one takes a flower in hand, holds it by one's heart, and meditates on the deity, repeating the meditation verses. Now one holds the flower in a special mudra, a special position of the hands. In this case, it's the... uh, Kuruma mudra, the tortoise mudra. Now these mudras are also significant. The special ability of a tortoise is that it can withdraw its head and its legs into its shell. Now when we practice meditation, we have to do exactly the same thing. We have to withdraw the senses and the mind from external objects and focus them within. So when we put a flower in this special tortoise mudra, we are reminding ourselves in yet another way that we have to withdraw everything and focus within. A very symbolic gesture. Probably many of you know the verses used for meditation on Sri Ramakrishna. They begin with the Hridaya Kamala Madhye Rajitam Nirvikalpam. Shining in the lotus of the heart, beyond all conceptions of being and non-being, entirely free from nature, one without a second, 
eternal, and the very embodiment of bliss, the stainless supreme self, Ramakrishna, we adore. So like that, the meditation verse reminds us of the qualities of the deity, in this case, Sri Ramakrishna. Now we are ready to worship, but we do not yet worship at the altar, the external altar. Before we do that, we worship at the altar of the heart. We perform manasa puja, mental worship. This is an essential part of any puja and is a sublime and exalted practice in which the different aspects of our being are offered within to the deity in our heart. First, we envision the heart as a lotus and offer that as a seat for the Lord. Then there is a nectar which trickles from the sahasrara or from the thousand-petaled lotus. We use that as water to wash the Lord's feet. We offer, we make a respectful offering, an argha, out of our mind and offer that at his feet. That same nectar is then offered as a bath. Then we offer a cloth, a new cloth. We take the principle of space and offer that as a cloth. Why? The divine is all-pervading. The Lord is, as it were, clothed in space. So we take the principle of space and offer that as a cloth. Similarly, with all the traditional offerings of a puja, we offer various aspects and elements of our being to the Lord. Finally, we offer what are called bhava pushpas, flowers of different attitudes. We, one envisions various positive character traits as a flower and offer them one by one. So the flower of freedom from egotism, the flower of freedom from greed, the flower of freedom from envy, the flower of mastery of the sense organs, the flower of compassion, the flower of forgiveness, the flower of knowledge. We offer these flowers at the altar of the heart in mental worship. This is Manasa Puja. Together with the Bhuta Shuddhi, it forms the meditative heart of the Puja, and this can be done anywhere. We don't need an external shrine to perform this practice. We can use it as we can perform this worship in our own heart, wherever we may be. Now we are ready to perform the external worship. This also is a beautiful symbolic system because first the deity will be invoked in the image. So one takes again a flower in the tortoise mudra and meditates on the deity, repeating the meditation verses. Then one brings the flower up to the nose and breathes ever so gently on it through the left nostril. And one feels that he who is shining in the heart comes out and into the flower. Then that flower is placed on the altar before the image. 
and one feels that the divine which was always sitting in the heart, always shining in the heart, has now come before me in the altar, in the image, to accept my worship graciously. So we see how it's actually a very non-dual kind of a practice. In special pujas with temporary images like Kali Puja, Durga Puja, the image is after this specially consecrated with all kinds of mantras and mudras and all that. But where worship is regularly offered, this is done only once when the temple is consecrated at the initial consecration ceremony. Also, interestingly, in Durga Puja, Kali Puja, pujas like that, which are seasonal pujas, the same process is practiced in reverse at the end of the puja. Before, at, when, after the image has been worshipped, as you know, the image is immersed into a lake or a river. But before you can do that, we have to take the divine back into the heart. So a flower is placed before the image, and then that flower is taken up, and ever so gently one breathes in at that flower and feels that the divine has come back into the heart. Now we can easily immerse the image. The divine has come back here, and we can immerse the image in the lake or river. Now, when we begin to offer the items of worship, in the elaborate 16-item puja, each thing which is offered, before it is offered, it is also worshipped. For instance, one prepares a small vessel with water, adds some flowers, some fragrance, for washing the Lord's feet. Before one offers it, one worships it with flowers, thus making it also divine. So everything becomes divine. The worshipper is divine, the worshipped is divine, the objects are divine, the offerings are divine. And each offering is accompanied by a special prayer, a special mantra. These mantras often express very sublime and sweet ideas regarding the relation of the devotee and the deity. For instance, at the very outset, one offers an asana, a seat, to the Lord. Symbolically, with a flower or a little silver asana. And one prays that, uh, For you who dwell within all beings, who are at the innermost self of all, I offer this seat. The idea is that though the Lord is seated in the hearts of all, and so to offer him a seat is a little ridiculous, because after all, he's seated in the hearts of all. Still, we pray that you accept this seat which we're offering to you. Swami Prabhavananda, the founder of the Vedanta Society of Southern California, and a well-known author, gave a wonderful hint about worship. He would say, when you wash the Lord's feet, wash the Lord's feet. He meant that we must cultivate a bhava, a mood in our worship. We must genuinely feel that the Lord is present before us, accepting our worship, and that we are really washing his feet. 
one develops this bhava over time with practice if one performs puja regularly. And this bhava is very helpful for a spiritual life. Sri Ramakrishna emphasized the importance of developing a relationship with our chosen ideal in our spiritual life as a child or a parent or a friend or a beloved. Puja helps us to do that. Finally, after all the offerings have been made, one makes shashtanga pranam. One stretches out before the deity in a full obeisance and surrenders the fruits of the worship to the Lord and surrenders oneself to one's beloved. So puja is not an end in itself, but it is an effective technique, even a scientific technique, by which we come to perceive the divine within ourselves, within the holy image, and ultimately within all things a practice by which we may gain the incomparably sweet fruit of deep devotion to God. I'd like to close with a short reading from the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, after which we may sit quietly for a few moments. We see here how Sri Ramakrishna's worship culminated in realization. It was Sunday, March 2, 1884, Sri Ramakrishna was in his room at Dakshineshwar, speaking with the devotees. He said, Formal worship drops away after the vision of God. It was thus that my worship in the temple came to an end. I used to worship the deity in the Kali temple. It was suddenly revealed to me that everything is pure spirit the utensils of worship, the altar, the door frame, all pure spirit, men, animals, and other living beings, all pure spirit. Then, like a madman, I began to shower flowers in all directions. Whatever I saw, I worshipped. One day, while worshipping Shiva, I was about to offer a bell leaf on the head of the image when it was revealed to me that this virat, this universe, itself is Shiva. After that, my worship of Shiva through the image came to an end. Another day I had been plucking flowers when it was revealed to me that the flowering plants were so many bouquets. It was revealed to to me in a flash. I didn't calculate about it. It was shown to me that each plant was a bouquet adorning the universal form of God. That was the end of my plucking flowers. I look on man in just the same way. When I see a man, I see that it is God himself who walks on earth, as it were, rocking to and fro, like a pillow floating on the waves. Om Tomeva Mata Chapita Tomeva Tomeva Bandhusha Sakha Tomeva 
ಸಮರ್ಪಯಾಮಿ Thou art my mother, my father art thou. Thou art my friend, my companion art thou. Thou art my knowledge, my wealth art thou. Thou art my all in all, O God of gods. Whatever we do through our body, speech, mind, senses, intellect, soul, or through innate natural tendencies, all that we dedicate as an offering to the supreme lord om peace peace peace